Hey everyone, how's it going there? It's Jawad with Hit The Apex Podcast. Welcome, welcome to F1 2022. <laughs> I know we did the whole welcome rounds last week, but now that we've got a full race under our belts, it is time to look back, review the first race of the new season, new era, new cars, new driver, <laughs> um, some old faces returning to the grid as well, doing well, um, and a great weekend if you're a Ferrari fan, of course, which I'm not, <laughs> but I do know quite a few Ferrari fans who were um, pretty happy with the result across the weekend, um, they headlined uh, with an impressive 1-2 finish with Charles Leclerc winning the Bahrain Grand Prix my Carlos Sainz behind, and Red Bull having an implosion at the end, a real kick to the bulls, as I said, <laughs> um, apologies to those Red Bull fans out there, but um, yeah, you know, it was all looking good for those guys right until the end, um, power unit problems for both Max Verstappen and uh, Sergio Perez taking away what would have been a certain 2-4 finish for them, um, and also walking away with zero constructors uh, championship points as well. So, let's go unpack the weekend that was Bahrain. Um, a lot of it, you know, trying to answer questions uh, that everyone had before the weekend about, you know, the how the race would go, would these cars be able to overtake, uh, like, or follow each other more closely, would we see more on-track battles, um, how would the teams who struggled in testing fare, you know, your, your Mercedes, your McLarens and all, uh, and even Alfa Romeo, who had limited time during uh, the first test in Barcelona. So a lot of uh, answers, but then still questions as well, because, you know, it's only the first race and we're going to be in a bit of a bit of a development war this year, I think. Um, so I feel like it's going to change race to race. Uh, later on, talking about uh, the conclusions um, that, came out of the FIA report into the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, so um, that was revealed over the weekend rather, you know, inconspicuously as well, I think just before quali qualifying, um, you know, here we are gearing up for, for the first qualifying of the new season, and um, you kind of just drop this little uh, little report on our tables. But um, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting, it's not anything that we didn't know already, um, but I will give my final thoughts on that later on in the show, and then yeah, some supercars talk as well, we've got the Tasmania Super Sprint on this weekend, and um, old Scotty McLaughlin, how he's doing in IndyCar as well, because he got another good result over the weekend. So, back to the top then, um, looking at qualifying, so Leclerc pole, Verstappen in second, had no answer to Leclerc's pace, Carlos Sainz a bit disappointed in himself to qualify third, um, he was disappointed with himself all weekend, it's, it's uh, you know, sadly the case for, for old Carlito, I mean, on the surface it doesn't look like, oh, you know, you, you, you finished, you qualified third and you finished second in the first race of the season, you know, that's a pretty good result, but he felt like he could have got more out of the car, so um, this is going to be interesting to watch because we haven't really had to see Ferrari manage uh, their two young Broncos uh, 
in their first season together last year because they weren't really in a position to be fighting for wins and, and podiums and championships and all. So um, we'll see how this one plays out. Are they going to have to nominate a one and two driver? As Ferrari have in the past, you know, it's no secret that Ferrari are one of the worst when it comes to um, team management and team orders and stuff like that. You know, just asked uh, like Sir Rubens Barrichello or Kimi Raikkonen um, about that. So, uh, yeah, you know, because if, if that's the case for, for Carlos, then that would be very sad. But, you know, I hope it's a close battle between those two. Um, during the race... Verstappen also had no answer to the pace of uh, Charles Leclerc. So, basically, race starts, they run in formation at the front um, until the first round of pit stops there for the leaders, which was lap 15, where um, Max cuts the gap to Leclerc, and they actually battled on track for a little bit. So, he got the DRS, good run down into turn one, but then after Max got in front there at turn one, Leclerc kept with him up until turn four, um, where there's the second DRS zone, I think, and um, was able to get past him there. So that's one, I guess you could say, tick in terms of the regulations doing their thing where, you know, you're able to follow a car closely because that went on for a couple of laps, I think three laps to be precise. So that was exciting to see those two go wheel to wheel. Ultimately, it was the Ferrari that got ahead um, and he was able to stay with him rather than lose that uh, lose that slipstream or whatever. There wasn't the same dirty air problems that they've had um, in previous years and previous generations of the F1 car. Um, then we get to lap 31, which is the second uh, stop for Verstappen. He ends up having a slowish pit stop, but then also... Lash it out at the team because uh, lashes out at the team because they told him to take it easy on the outlap. He's like, you know, don't tell me what to do. Something like that in typical typical angry Mad Max fashion. Um, and the reason why the team would would have told him to take it easy is because these tires really copped a, um, a brutal beating in the opening weekend. So, you know, the the strategy to the end for most was a three-stopper. I mean, one thing, one criticism, if I had watching the race, was just the general pace of it felt a lot slower than last year's races. Um, you know, say we're doing the same laps, 57 laps around Bahrain, a circuit that we've seen, you know, umpteen times or whatever, but, you know, it felt like a very slow 57 laps, even though we did have the safety car out there towards the end as well. Um, sure, of course, the lap times are a lot slower at the moment, but then, you know, just having those extra pit stops there to get to the end, um, did make a difference. So hopefully, you know, like we have predicted or, you know, the teams have predicted that the cars will get faster. So, you know, I mean, for anyone watching the race at two o'clock in the morning, of course, it's going to, you're going to need something to keep you um, awake and alert through the whole time. So that was probably my only criticism so far. But again, it's the start of a new uh, era of regulations. Of course, they're going to get quicker as time goes on. So it's not going to be something that I complain about on a regular basis. Um, 
So yeah, Max basically losing it because his team told him to take it easy. Uh, we saw, you know, drivers just take the life out of their tyres um, after just the warm-up lap. I think Lewis Hamilton was the same in that instance as well, um, where he was running in that point in the race. But, um, you know, they just had to take it easy because three-stop was the way to go. And... It was on lap 44 where Max came in, triggered the third round of stops, but then um, that is when the issues arose for him. Power steering, hydraulic problems, whatever it was, it was a, it was a litany of uh, errors going on there in the Red Bull, um, screaming on the radio, couldn't even make out what he was saying um, until, of course, uh, <laughs> we had to see the car retire there. Uh, so what? happened then was we saw Pierre Gasly pull over to the side his Alpha Tauri on fire it wasn't the same issue that the the Red Bull cars had obviously them using the same uh, power unit the Red Bull powertrain um, so Gasly pulls over on lap 46 that triggers the safety car the others then come in and do their third stops while Max on lap 51 just before the restart or after the restart ends up having to succumb to his issues goes into the pit lane and out of the race while Perez on the final lap going into turn one he's got Lewis Hamilton all over him um, has his power cut out on him into turn one and basically made him spin and then that was the end of his race too so horrible horrible start um for red bull in that instance you know to walk away from the first race with no points um it was funny after qualifying i was saying oh maybe um my uh <laughs> pre-season prediction for red bull's title defense being dismal um won't come ahead because of how well they had qualified but then walking away from the first race i'm like oh yeah you know it could be on but i don't think that this is going to be a regular thing for red bull they should bounce back um uh, pretty quickly from that but you know it will be interesting given that both cars suffered from similar issues on the power unit side that what what's going on and one thing I was reading into as well after the race um, during the week was that you know it's quite interesting because we've run with the same power unit formula for what since 2014 now almost um, well it's eight years yeah I was gonna say almost 10 years closer to 10 years than we are um, the other way. Sounds pretty stupid to say, I know. Um, but this is the first time that they've, you know, made a change in terms of the fuel that goes in. So all uh, power units must now have um, E10 in it, you know, 10% ethanol. So that's not something that they've done in the past. Maybe, you know, that has caused some unforeseen issue to arise. Who knows? So it's quite fascinating when you look at it that way. Um, so with those Red Bulls out, this helped science, um, into second he would have been guaranteed a podium anyway but he now got elevated into second and guaranteed the ferrari one two and an unlikely podium for mr hamilton or sir hamilton we should say um mercedes basically talking about how this weekend is a glorified test session um they need to further understand what the problems are with their w13 car um, mixture of porpoising and all sorts of other things. It was a dismal weekend if you're a Mercedes-powered team, which I'll get to a bit later. But um, for them to walk away with the podium, there'll be a lot of people kind of kind of chortling there in the background say you know they took a few of the sandbags out of the car finally when it came to the race. And, of course, you get your um, 
ceremonial speech from Hamilton at the end um, in in Park Ferme about you know the, the the guys and gals at the factory really worked hard to pull this off and everything. So, but unlike previous seasons, they really do seem like they're in a bit of trouble com- um, where they are at the moment. They weren't really fighting for pole position, even though in the final practice session of the weekend they did set some exciting laps. But Ferrari and Red Bull are clearly in another league at the moment when it comes to the single lap pace, so we won't see Mercedes there. But Hamilton is a seven-time world champion, so you don't know what he's able to uh, pull out of the bag, and particularly in race spec as well. So um, going into the next weekend in Jeddah this weekend, I think you know it could possibly be even closer. Who knows? Um, yeah, so tyre struggles, got to say, overall, for the heavier cars, the new profile of tyres. Um, credit to Mick Schumacher, of course, who came so close to finishing in the points. You know, it was a great weekend for Haas overall, but, you know, just one spot off finishing in the top 10. Um, but he got to the end on a two-stop strategy, the only driver to do so as well. Um George Russell, while we're still talking about Mercedes, had an impressive first race. He basically kept his uh, kept clean and out of the barriers or out of trouble. Finished fourth in the end, so good result for him. Qualifying didn't really go his way, <laughs> Mister Saturday. There was a lot of uh, jokes to come out of that, and hopefully, no one really got concerned about um, George. Oh, you know, he's he he's, he doesn't have it. He's in a Mercedes now, and he got out qualified by Valtteri Bottas, getting a bit carried away there. Um, qualified ninth, but you know, it's it's Sunday where it counts. So he did well there to finish in fourth of course um and then turning it over to Haas and wow 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 (laughs) um delight for them nothing but delight because they scored their first point since 2020 um and a I don't know if it's career best or like team best finish for not it's obviously not career best for for Kevin Magnuson because he's finished on the podium before but he's equaled his best result I think in a Haas um going back to like 2018 or 2019 I think of fifth you know who would have thought at any point you know in the last 12 to 18 months for Haas that they were going to get a, a fifth place finish you know obviously not with with the previous certain uh sorry um certain ex-drivers now, but the fact that they've brought Kevin Magnussen back into the team, um, Gunter Steiner will be wrapped, of course, as well as the entire Haas organisation, because they've really toiled in the last 12 months, um, you know, it's 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 been that bad that, you know, Gunter's had to do uh, photo shoots for an Audi catalogue, if, if you've seen that episode of uh, Drive to Survive on Netflix or whatever, <laughs> probably probably one of the highlights of, of that season on, on Netflix, to be honest. Haven't finished it yet, so I will do some, deliver some proper, deliver some proper thoughts on it when I finish um, season four. But um, yeah, for them to go through what they have in the last 12 to 18 months, it's sensational for them to do that. And also for Kevin to get into Q3 as well in qualifying, you know, he impressed um, in qualifying, uh, qualified in seventh, so ahead of George Russell, for example, Fernando Alonso, Pierre Gasly, um, all names that, you know, you would have thought would have been higher up, but yeah, for them to do that, and for Mick Schumacher as well, get into Q2, 12th, I honestly think that they could be um, 
fighting in that midfield all year. You know, if they can keep up the development of their car, um, they could easily finish ahead of the likes of Alpine and Aston Martin, um, AlphaTauri, if, you know, they, if they struggle with reliability. But it's too early to say, it's too early to say, but for them to bank those points early on is quite crucial. So Haas sitting third in the Constructors' Championship, which no one was going to say um, coming into the first race would have been would have been something that happened. Um, equally, des- equally delightful as well for Alfa Romeo, um, Valtteri Bottas, I was going to say Baltery Voltas, because that's like a, a parody meme account or whatever that keeps popping up. Good, good, good laugh though. Out of there, um, Bottas converting his sixth place in qualifying to sixth in the race as well. So great start for them as well. Another team who have struggled in the last 12 to 18 months, um, just not really getting results. You know, we saw Juvenazzi last, Juvenazzi last year. Um, you know, qualify in Q3 a couple of times, but just got absolutely beaten up during the race, couldn't really hack it with the top 10 drivers, but having a guy like Bottas, who's raced, you know, seven years for Mercedes, is it seven years? I think five years, who knows? He's been at Mercedes for a very long time. Uh, come in with his expertise and his uh, knowledge of how a championship winning team operates to come in and get a result like that. It's quite great. And for Guan Yu Zhou as well, the rookie scoring a point on debut as well. So he had a clean weekend there in the Alfa Romeo. And, you know, how many Ferrari-powered cars do we have? I think we've got um, included six, six of them. So you had five of those cars finish in the points. Um for the first race, so quite different to how the Mercedes-powered cars are going at the moment, you've got to say. Behind them, you had Alpine, who didn't really set the world on fire, you got to say, um, with 7th and ninth for the race, Esteban Ocon, his only kind of claim to fame in that one was getting a 5-second penalty for turning Mick Schumacher around at the first corner on the first lap, but otherwise he recovered to finish in 7th ahead of his teammate, so quite interesting, you know, there'll be a team to follow through the season given that, you know, they're the own, they're considered a manufacturer team and, you know, how long are we going to see them in this kind of midfield position, you know, they're supposed to have come into the top three or whatever, top four, sooner than later. And given the radical change in rules as well, you would have thought that hit the hit the ground running like Ferrari have, for example, given the lead time that they've had on this. So decent result for them, but you know, you expect better for a manufacturer team like that. But then again, it is quite early in the season. Um, Yuki Sonoda, probably one of my stars during the race as well. You know, a lot of criticism I gave him last year in his rookie season and it looked like I was going to sharpen the pitchfork again after qualifying when he got knocked out in Q1 but he redeemed that with a solid P8 finish finishing in the points and it was all due to the rapid stint that he had at the end there um, basically just scything through the field after that safety car restart took advantage with fresh tyres and um, finished an eighth, so that was great for him to fly the fa- uh, fly the flag for Alpha Tauri, with of course um, Pierre Gasly out of the race. Already talked about Russell and Mercedes um, glorified test sessions for them to understand that car a bit further. 
But the Mercedes-powered teams, the other teams, so six of the eight Mercedes-powered cars were outside of the points, the flag being flied for them by Lance Stroll there in 12th, which I'll get to shortly, but you had Alex Albon there on his F1 return in 13th for Williams, um, and also then Lando Norris there for McLaren in 15th, both of them got into Q2, which was good, not for, if you're a McLaren fan, um, you know, it just, I just think of Uncle Uncle Roger's line of uh, emotional damage because that's how I felt, you know, at the end of that weekend. It's it was such a rough weekend as as a McLaren supporter. Um, Daniel Ricciardo managed to beat his teammate during the race with 14th, but seeing him knocked out in Q1, and I know he's just come back from having had COVID and such limited testing time, having done none of the tests in Bahrain. Um, but that car just, you know, struggling with lack of downforce, you know, oversteer, understeer, the brake problems. I mean, how did it become like this, you know, after such a successful test in Barcelona? So you'd think with the resources that they have at their disposal now that they're able to look into it and quickly bring upgrades. But, you know, not the way that they would have expected to start this new era, um, given that the reset... Um, that has happened at the front of the grid and Ferrari having made those gains, you know, and also then beaten them last year as well in the Constructors' Championship. Um, it just, uh, yeah, it, it felt like a nightmare, which, you know, want to kind of erase pretty quickly. But, you know, the team has endured tougher and, you know, for those who have been supporting the team for a long time, you know, have gone through the painful years of the, the Honda partnership and then what followed in the aftermath as well with 2018. I think, you know, we can easily um, get ourselves out of this predicament. Um, but yeah, it was it was very painful to watch in that instance. Um, Aston Martin as well. Oh, you know, where, where do you start with those guys? Um, for all the talk and all the ambition that Lawrence Stroll brings, it's pretty pretty dismal when you see um, both cars knocked out in Q2, or sorry, in Q1. Nico Hulkenberg, who was standing in for Sebastian Vettel this weekend, um, uh, will hopefully see Seb back in the car for the coming weekend in Saudi Arabia, but um, Hulkenberg, who was only a stand-in, who had not tested this car at all, our qualified Lance Stroll in 17th, um, and if it wasn't for the overheating issues that he suffered early on in the race, he could have outraced him as well, which, you know, we know how good a driver Hulkenberg is, but instead Stroll um, had a decent race, stayed out of trouble, finished in 12th, um, whilst 17th was what Hulkenberg could do last of the classified finishes, so, you know, a tough weekend for, for those guys, and then it's, yeah, mainly those Mercedes-powered cars that we see outside of the top 10. Nicholas Latifi down there in 16th as well. Um, a real tough one, you've got to say. I did not expect, um, you know, Williams, sure, you'd expect them not to be in the points on a regular basis. Um, but McLaren, Aston Martin, for all their might and their worth, you know, they've got to do better this season and hopefully they do recover so um and it's such a short turnaround to the next race in in a couple of days time um such a different track as well as Saudi you know the street circuit 
personally not a fan, <laughs> as I said, you know, when I was talking about Miami last week, I'm not, I'm not a fan of these high attrition street races, you know, Monaco is great because of its prestige, you know, it might not be great for racing, but, you know, it's the, it's the prestige of it, and also qualifying, watching a qualifying lap around there is, is phenomenal, one of the best things you could do, um, or watch as a Formula One fan, but, you know, Baku, I'll take Baku, sure, Singapore, yeah, take it or leave it, um, but yeah, Jeddah as well, it's just, it's a complex track, it's such a dangerous track as we saw last year too, and, you know, hopefully, well, there's no hoping that there's not going to be attrition around there, it's just going to be a, it's going to be like a parking lot, you know, or demolition derby, I think, at the end of uh, the race there on Sunday, so that's going to probably cough up a different result than what we've seen here in Bahrain, um, so yeah, it'll just be about survival, I think, um, before they get to take a week off ahead of the Australian, Australian Grand Prix in a few weeks time, so that's all for that then, um, congratulations if you're a Ferrari fan, you know, first win since 2019, first one-two finish since Singapore 2019 as well, Sebastian Vettel finishing ahead of Charles Leclerc, um, and what an interesting championship this is going to be, so we will find out how it goes in the next race. Let's move it on then to the FIA report that came out after, um, or just before qualifying, I think, on, on Saturday, uh, the conclusions into, or the key findings into what happened at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, um, with race control's use of the safety car, Michael Massey's decisions and the stewards' decisions, all that sort of stuff. And to be fair, you know, it's it's information, well, not information, but it's things that we already knew. You know how you know the way I saw it and the way some of us saw it as well. Um, so the report basically saying that Massey acted in good faith but made a human error in, in the, uh, in the, in out, like, you know, with the unlapping of the cars and everything, um, acted in good faith because he didn't want to see the championship end under a safety car, um, all that sort of thing, but also the FIA admitting that there was undue pressure from the teams as well, which, you know, we, I for one have been saying all year last year that, yeah, you know, why are they getting in the ear of the race director, you know, especially when key decisions have to be made, um, as I said last week as well, and on many occasions, you don't see in ball, ball sports, for example, where the coaches or the team managers get into the ear of the referee about decisions being made, you know, so it shouldn't be the same in motorsport, for example, so it just, yeah, like, I'm glad that, you know, for some it's brought closure, this, because we really need to move on, but then when you continue to open up your, your social media feed and see people petitioning and this and that, it's just like, get over yourself, seriously, you know, um, the way that this is all boiled down, you know, with the with what the FIA has said, particularly about Michael Massey, you know, they've said, oh, you know, he he acted in good faith. It just was human error at the end of the day. It's like, since when when was the last time where you know acting in good faith and 
human error or if you've attributed to human error led to you losing your job kind of thing you know so it just seems like you know it's it's poor form either way you know the FIA looks pretty pretty terrible um after Abu Dhabi it looks even more terrible I think you know because of you know how this is all played out but I seriously hope that you know we can just move on from this and hope that nothing uh goes wrong this year (laughs) you know we don't end up in this sort of situation this year because then it'll be a real litmus test of whether these changes that they've implemented have actually made any sort of difference because you know if not then let's see people petition then or you know i'm sure no one would petition if you know it cost uh guan yu zhou third sorry not third but like let's say fifth or sixth in a race or whatever or if any other driver was uh um what do you call it like fell afoul of fell afoul of the rules like that so it just yeah there's heaps of hypocrisy there's just yeah the heaps of undue pressure you know the pressure being put on by the public and certain um, notable figures as well um in the media uh, whether the f1 media or not you know they they claim to be experts and whatnot um being put on michael massey it was just unnecessary and i think it, if it wasn't for that pressure perhaps he would have kept his job you know he would have you know surely learned and as the fia would have learned you know from all that to do a better job next time anyway let's just let's just close this chapter and move on with it because yeah, you know, we don't want to see this happen again, and, you know, whether Massey will come back from this um, at all, you know, will he end up staying in the FIA, does he want to stay with an organisation that's, um, you know, thrown him under the bus like they have, Uh, who knows, I'm sure, you know, Australian Motorsport, as I've said, would welcome him back, Uh, Motorsport Australia, um, to do some work here, who knows. Um, and before we turn away from Formula One for this episode, a uh, quick mention of uh, Stefano Domenicali, the F1 CEO, talking about a potential of having 30 races on the calendar. Um, obviously, it's not something that could happen immediately because as part of the current Concord Agreement, which runs until the end of 2024, I believe, or 2025, uh, they can only have a maximum of 24 on the calendar. So, of course, you know, um, 23 races, what was scheduled for this year before the removal of the Russian Grand Prix, um, by all accounts, it sounds like we're going to return to Qatar um, for uh, a race, the, um, what do you call it, the La Salle International Circuit that we saw last year. Of course, F1's got already got a deal with them for 10, 10 or so years, I think, because um, they're going to do a street race there from, from next year onwards. They weren't supposed to do a race this year because of the World Cup or something, football, soccer, whatever, the kickerball, yada, yada, they make millions yada yada um but yeah <laughs> as as you would know if you've listened to me in the past um i'm not a fan of having that many like even 23 races is too much uh so imagine how 30 races go like obviously more races more f1 more better you would think but sometimes you know it's quality over quantity you know and we don't want to see 
those traditional races compromised. Um, we don't want to see any of the current races, you know, that have been on the calendar for a long time, lose their spot on the calendar to make way for um, new spots. But because, I guess, from what Domenicali is saying, F1 is so popular at the moment, everyone wants a Grand Prix, you know, there could potentially be a race in Las Vegas as early as next year. So, well, that would be the third Grand Prix on, on US soil as well, which shows, you know, how well they've done in that market since Liberty Media took over. We're getting the Miami Grand Prix this year. We've got Cota, still very much a popular race, um, selling out again, I think, for this year. So good on those guys there in, in Austin at Circuit of the Americas. But, um, you know, having a having a Grand Prix in Las Vegas as well, you know, I'd, I'd very much love to go. Um, also for personal reasons too, you know, me and my partner would love to go to Vegas, but, um, you know, having more races is just going to be a lot more difficult for, for teams, for personnel, for, for the crews who travel with, with media or with television. Um, it just, you know, for all the talk on sustainability and, you know, going net zero carbon by a certain date as well, you know, until F1 you know, can accomplish that with the way that they travel around the world because they still travel by air mainly and, of course, air air travel is still one of the most um, polluting um, modes of transport there is. Uh, It's it's not really great, you know. I don't think having 30 um, carbon-neutral events around the world, you know, as terms of, you know, the event infrastructure and all that is going to offset all the travelling and whatnot, Um, the environmental damage caused by travel all the travel that they do so you know they're just going to have to think about that a bit more closely in the future and you know as popular as it is to want to have an f1 race at the moment i think they should still just keep the exclusivity in it you know if you keep it capped to like 22 races or 20 races even um, so that being on the calendar is, you know, uh, something that is really sought after or valued rather than just handing out, you know, tickets like it's, you know, a free concert or something. So um, we'll keep an eye on that over the year, of course. Um, still not official, of course, about at, about Las Vegas, but I'm sure they will um, make it so in not too long at all. And we'll do some supercars chat at the end of this one. So we've got the Tasmania Super Sprint on this weekend, which is the second round of the championship. Um, but starting off with some political stuff, you know, how how often do I go political? Rhetorical question. Um, to For those who are interested or whatnot, um, the South Australian state election was on over the weekend with the Labor government uh, winning the election. Um, they were previously a Liberal government all through the last four years during COVID and everything as well. Um, and the Labor government, to many, surprised and, and won this one, which, you know, for those who are supercars and motorsport fans, would have known that at some point last year, the Labour Minister, I can't remember his name, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, the Labour leader made a promise and had supercars, the previous supercars CEO and Sean Seymour, um, come to an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding, that if 
Labor to win the state election this year, that we would have the return of the Adelaide 500, which by all accounts seems to be going ahead um, at the moment. Supercars and, of course, the new Supercars CEO in Shane Howard issued a statement following the um, the victory for the Labor leader and the Labor Party that, you know, we're all committed to going ahead with this in December, so it would see out the 2022 season, um, but obviously, you know, it hasn't, you know, officially, you know, it's not been put up on the ticket sites yet and all that sort of stuff, but, you know, by all accounts, it's going to go ahead, which is amazing, you know, because it was so gutting, you know, and a lot of fans uh, were gutted when they announced in after the 2020 round and, of course, with COVID and stuff that the Adelaide 500 had been scrapped, um, talks of even, you know, them looking to auction off the site or, you know, demolish the site where the circuit is, which has been standing for a long, long time. When you go back to, you know, the the 80s and early 90s when we had the Australian Grand Prix there, 85 to 95, um, and, you know, the infrastructure and whatnot, the grandstands, them having auctioned it off and sold off and everything, it was so sad. But then for the Labor government to be committed to bringing this event back, which obviously has been popular amongst um, his voters and I'm sure uh, a lot of other things <laughs> that they've wanted to do and whatnot in that state, um, it, it really makes me happy, you know, and I'm really glad that, you know, we can actually organise to go um and see this, you know, wanted to go for years and thought never, I never might be able to now that it's canned. But um, yeah, I think it would be a great way to end the season as well, having it at um, the popular street circuit. So great news with that. Um, great news that Supercars is back this weekend there at uh, Simmons Plains. Going back to the Super Sprint format as well with the three races across the weekend, the two races on Saturday, sorry, one race on Saturday and then two on the Sunday. Um, by all accounts, it's been a triple eight safe circuit over the past few years, um, but we did see Chaz Moster, the current championship leader, win a race as well in 2021 on the Sunday. Um, and given the fact it was his first uh, win for Walkinshaw Andretti United as well since switching um, to the team for in 2020, so, you know, he'll have good memories going back there, um, and nice as well, and humbling in a way that, you know, they're not making such a big song and dance about, you know, being championship contenders at this point, it's such a hard one to win, um, is the Supercars title, and you really have to, uh, have everything come together for you to be able to win, um, as we've seen in the past, you know, championship challenges can fall apart as it did seemingly for Cam Waters last year he started um, the season off so well um, and he was looking to have a good weekend there in Simmons Plains as well um, but you know having the tyre troubles that he did despite taking uh, both the pole positions on Sunday and then not having a result to show for it at the end of it you know shows how um, not getting the results is very how much it can take away from your championship, so he'll be looking to bounce back, I'm sure, as well, he's currently sitting sixth after the opening round at Sydney Motorsport Park, 
Um, but you've got to say that it's got to be the regulars that are going to be up there. Your Van Gisbergens, your Mosterts, Anton Di Pasquale has been great as well. And, you know, how good are the, the Erebus guys too with both Brody Kostecki and Will Brown. So not going to rule anyone out of this championship just yet, but, you know, um, they're really causing some headaches for the guys at the front, which is really great because, you know, Erebus has to be, I guess, you know, a second favourite team for most. Um, and it was obviously a big change when they saw both David Reynolds and Anton Di Pasquale leave at the end of 2020, you know, a difficult year that that was for them. Um, and then to then come into 2021 with an all-new driver lineup, both rookies um, as well. But, um, you know, they've seemed to actually come in and be doing okay, you know, and they're fighting at the front, they're qualifying at the front. So, yeah, we'll see how they go um, with that. So should be a good one. And then finishing it off with, with IndyCar and a bit of Scott McLaughlin news. He missed out on pole in, in Texas for the Expel 375. And then... Misses out on the win as well at the very last corner to his teammate, Joseph Newgarden. So that was real gutting. It was on for the win, but then, yeah, his teammate got the better run and came out to win. So, you know, just right at the right at the line as well. So um, a bit gutting there. Could have done two from two, um, Scott McLaughlin. But how good is it that, you know, two races in, he's still leading the championship. Not saying that, you know, it's going to stay like that for the rest of the year, because again, IndyCar is another difficult one where consistency is key, but if there's one driver who is as consistent as any um, in the world, then uh, it's got to be Scott McLaughlin, because we've seen him do it in supercars. There's a reason why, you know, he was kind of picked by Roger Penske himself to... <laughs> represent him in his IndyCar team, which is, you know, one of the most prestigious honours you could get in world motorsports. So, and for Scotty himself to say, coming in, going into the season, that, yeah, it should be another season of learning um, and, you know, possibly um, winning races and but not fighting for the championship and then to be already in the hunt is, is incredible. So but we're going to keep our fingers and toes crossed. We're not going to get too carried away as, as hard as it is not to. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really good, uh, to see him up there. So, uh, two out of two for Team Penske though, with, with Newgarden winning that one, um, and Scotty winning in St. Petersburg. Not a great weekend again for Pato Award. Um, his teammate, Felix Rosenquist though, he did qualify for the pole, um, but didn't have such a great race. So we'll see how, uh, it goes next time for them. So really happy with the way that um, McLaughlin has started this season in general. So yeah, I think that that about wraps it up. Um, back again next week, of course, back-to-back weekends for Formula One. So um, some sleepless nights for, for me, especially on this side of the world with... Uh, uh, the races being in the Middle East and everything, so 4 a.m. start for both qualifying and the race uh, this weekend in Saudi. Um, again, this year, do, I'm delighted to be doing some uh, guest appearances for the Grid Talk podcast as well, um, which I'll put a link in the description this time for you. So I did the qualifying review um, for the Bahrain Grand Prix. Not going to appear this weekend, hopefully for the next weekend, sure, the Australian Grand Prix, 
because yeah, I can't, you know, stay up all night and <laughs> need a bit of rest. Um, so yeah, good to be working with the really lovely team of people at um, F1 Chronicle and the Grid Talk podcast again. So be sure to check them out. Other than that, as always, find me on Twitter at Hit the Apex Media. There's also a link tree to the other various channels where I can be found on for my writing, live blogging, and of course, Instagram for photos. Hopefully some racing photos coming soon. But anyway, thank you for tuning in for this one. Have a good one, guys, and I'll be back to wrap up the Saudi Grand Prix and the Tasmania Super Sprint this time next week. Ciao.